Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this special episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing the Commodore 64 Mini, which was released here in the United States last fall. Now, I have a real Commodore 64, multiple, actually. I also have an SX-64, an Ultimate 64, uh, an FPGA Mist, and Commodore 64 emulators on my PC, on the Raspberry Pi, and on my Android tablet. I can literally play Commodore 64 games in any room in my house and while I'm on the go. So the question is, why would I, or you, or anybody for that matter, want to purchase a Commodore 64 Mini? That is the question I plan to address on this episode. Now, as I mentioned, the Commodore 64 Mini was released in the United States in the fall of 2018. It was released earlier, I believe in the spring of 2018 in the UK. But I will be talking about the NTSC uh, version of the unit that was released here in the US. So what is the Commodore 64 Mini? Well... It's a miniature Commodore 64. <laughs> when you open the box, you will see a scaled-down version of the Commodore 64, along with a competition pro joystick. You'll also find a few cables inside the box, and there is one thing conspicuously missing that I will mention. Uh, physically, it looks like a miniature Commodore 64. Uh, there are two USB ports on the right-hand side where the joystick ports are on a real Commodore 64, and there's a little power button where the power switch on a normal 64 is. Uh, on the back side, there are two slots. One is for HDMI out, and the other one is a micro USB slot for power. The unit itself, I would say, is... Uh, I guess, I don't know if you call this half size or a fourth size. I mean, it's half as deep and it's half as wide. So technically it's one quarter the size. I think four of these would make up uh, the size of a real Commodore 64. But it, yeah, the dimensions are right. It looks good. The colors are pretty good. Inside the Commodore 64 Mini is uh, a system on a chip. It's a all-winner A20 dual-core processor, a Cortex-A7. It has 512 meg of RAM, that's DDR3 RAM. It outputs 720p video through HDMI, and it's running an emulator. It's running Vice 2.4, which is the same version of Vice that I ran for many years on my PC. So it is a uh, definitely a competent emulator. The joystick is a USB joystick. It looks like a traditional uh, Competition Pro stick. But uh, there's definitely some differences between this uh, and the original. You'll notice right off the bat, uh, it has the two fire buttons that you would be uh, expecting. There are two small triangular buttons that are referred to as uh, TL and TR, which is top left and top right. And then there are four buttons across the bottom that perform different functions depending on whether you're in the menu or game system. You could kind of think of those as the four function keys on the side of uh, traditional 64. Also inside the box, there is a power cable, a USB cable, but there is no power adapter. So if you bought this, let's say you were, I don't know, on the way to a cabin in the woods over the weekend, you purchased this and you got there and opened it. If you don't have either a USB to power adapter or uh, in theory, I guess you could plug it into a uh, 
maybe a powered USB hub or to an actual computer, you can't power this on. I don't understand why it didn't come with uh, one of those power adapters. Now, I think almost everybody has one of those at this point, whether it's, uh, you know, from a phone charger or, or whatever. But the fact that it doesn't come with one was a little irritating. Now, when you fire up the C64 Mini, uh, it goes directly into a menu. The system comes with, I put 64 plus games. Originally, it came with uh, 64 games. They've added another one, and there are a few things uh, that you can access that are not games. On the menu system, you will see seven or eight box titles at a time, which are displayed across the bottom, and you scroll through that to pick the game you want to play. Each one that you highlight has screenshots. There's a simple uh, description of the game, and there are s simple instructions. Now, as anybody that's played old Commodore 64 games knows, a lot of these games are complicated. There were how many games? I can't tell you. Uh, you know, back in the day, you would download a game. I would download a game, fire it up, and then go, what am I supposed to do? Well, who am I? What's going on? You know, especially ones that involved uh, keyboard things to change or set weapons or do whatever. So the system itself does come with uh, more detailed instructions and there are instructions available on their website. Um, but some of them are a little bit more complicated than others to get into. Uh, it also shows... Uh, who the author was, who composed the music, which is a nice touch, uh, and the year it was released. And then the whole time you're in the menu system, uh, music plays in the background. Now, before you launch a game, there are some other settings, and uh, all of these are pretty handy, I would say. Uh, probably the most important one is the display setting. It's right there on the main menu, and there are six different settings. Um, there's a um, pixel-perfect setting, which you know would be like letterbox i would say there's a european 4 by 3 setting and then there's a us uh 4 to 3 ratio which is probably what most uh people were used to if you played commodore 64 games back uh you know on an original on a small crt monitor i really really can't stand playing traditional commodore games or any traditional game uh, that was designed in 4x3 when the video is stretched out to letterbox. It drives me crazy. Some people it doesn't bother. And if you're one of those people, hey, good for you. Uh, a lot of televisions, I, I don't know that modern televisions, a lot of monitors used to have a setting where you could swap between standard and widescreen. But that setting is kind of getting lost in a lot of newer monitors. So it's really nice that the system itself has that setting not all televisions have it, and, you know, I think that the ideal application for the C64 Mini is to put it in your living room. So it's really nice that they built that in. Uh, there is a language menu where you can set the default language, and then there is a little wrench down at the bottom, which gets you into a few other settings. Uh, you can bring up a USB uh, keyboard. Uh, there's a legal notice. There's system information, and you can perform a factory reset down there now of the all the game choices one of them is basic i haven't done a lot with basic 
but the manual does say that you can load and save programs. Uh, you have to name, uh, you have to create a, a disk image and it has to be named a specific thing. But if you do that, you can load and save uh, basic programs. Now, to type on the C64 Mini, you have two options. The first one is to use a pop-up virtual keyboard. You know, unless you're programming anything more than, uh, you know, 10 print Jack Flack rules and 20 go to 10, I don't think you want to do a lot of uh, deep programming with the joystick and the pop-up keyboard. You could, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. But because the, the device has USB ports right on the side, you can plug in a USB keyboard and just start typing away. So in theory, you could write your own basic programs with a C64 Mini. Now, the the uh, model I got shipped with, uh, I think it shipped with firmware 1.1. I don't even think mine had 1.0. But there are three different firmwares out there. There's a 1.0, 1.1, and 1.2. They are very different and you definitely need to upgrade to the latest firmware if you purchase one of these. The reason why, and I'll talk about this feature later on, is the ability to load external Commodore 64 games. I don't think it was possible in the original firmware. I'm not entirely sure, but for what I've been able to find in 1.0, you couldn't do it. In 1.1, you could do it. But it involved, you know, some hoops. It wasn't very easy. In 1.2, it's seamless. It's so easy to do. Um, it, it just makes it so easy. And it turns this from being like all those other mini consoles, you know, where you're locked into the games, to basically being a tiny little emulator machine. So we're going to talk more about that uh, shortly. But before we talk about loading external games on this thing, let's talk about the games that it comes with. Now, like I said, originally it came with uh, 64 games. There are a couple of things that are not games. There's a uh, like a almost like a old school demo that has the credits of people that worked on it. There's that basic option, and then there's also uh, with the latest firmware update, you get Galencia added to uh, your game list. And Galencia is a game I've mentioned before. I'm sure everybody who's in the, the Commodore 64 scene has heard of this, but it is the uh, Galaga. You know, I, I used to say the Galaga clone. I don't like calling it that. I would say Galaga inspired. Um, and there are, I mean, things about that game that I think are better than Galaga. So I, I think if just calling it a Galaga clone um, demeans it a little bit. Uh, it's a great game. But anyway, that has been added to the machine, so that is, is definitely nice. Scrolling through the list of 64 games, <sighs> there are good games on the list. I'm not going to lie. There are games that, let's say this didn't come with any games at all, there are some of the games that, that it does come with that I would play anyway, you know, ones that I would go in. So scrolling through the list, here's the list of games. I'm, I'm not going to read all 64, but here are the ones that I consider, uh, I don't want to say good, because a lot of them, there may be other ones that are good that just didn't strike me. But but these are the ones, the highlights, let's put it that way. These are the highlights I personally thought of the game list. You've got Boulder Dash. You've got Breakdance, which right there is not a great game, but it's definitely one, uh, you know, it, it's little more than uh, Simon Says, really. But uh, uh, but anyway, uh, Breakdance, you get California Games, 
Summer Games 2, Winter Games, and World Games. All of those are really good uh, game collections. Uh, I mentioned Galencia. Uh, there's Impossible Mission 1 and 2. There's Jumpman 1 and Jumpman 2. It comes with Paradroid, which is not only one of my favorite Commodore 64 games, it's one of my favorite video games of all time. Uh, Pit Stop 2, which is a fun racing game. You get Speedball 1 and 2. Uh, Spin Dizzy, which is a kind of a cross between, it's kind of like a uh, an adventure game that looks and plays very similar to Marble Madness, except for you are the... Uh, a little gyroscope-looking thing. You're the spin dizzy. You get uh, three street sports games. You get street sports baseball, basketball, and soccer. Those are all fun games. Supercycle is a fun motorcycle racing game. Sword of Fargo, which is a game that I have reviewed on this show. It is uh, a um, roguelike game. Uh, you get Gateway to Apshai and Temple of Apshai Trilogy. So, a couple of deeper uh, RPGs. I mean, they're not deep <laughs> RPGs like we would we would refer to today. But, uh, you know, they're, not everything on this uh, system is a, a straight-up arcade game, you know, or a racing game. There, there are some adventures on here. You get Tower Toppler, uh, which is uh, also known as Nebulous, depending on if, which uh, side of the pond you got your copy from. You get Iridium, which is another probably ranked top 10 Commodore 64 game. Uh, West Bank, which is a, a fun little a twitchy shooter type game. And Who Dares Wins 2, which, um, you know, it's no commando, <laughs> but it is a classic. It's a game a lot of people are familiar with. Now, um, <clears throat> I will say below that, there were some games that I may have heard of. Um, you know, back uh, during my original run of a uh, Commodore 64 owner uh, that I, I revisited. And so these are ones that they didn't catch my attention right off the bat, but are ones that I might go back and play a little bit more. So kind of a second tier, if you will. Uh, there's Cybernite or Cyberdyne Warrior, I should say. Cybernoid 1 and 2. IO is a good game. Netherworld, Robin of the Woods. Skate Crazy, and then School Days. So I think a lot of people like School Days. It wasn't a favorite of mine uh, back uh, back when I was you know heavy into Commodore 64, but I think a lot of people like it um, more than I do. Now, even if you were to just keep it as that, that's a pretty good collection of games. I could see playing, you know, just California games for a while or, uh, you know, any of those epics, uh, games, California games, world games, uh, winter games. You know, I could see playing those. I could, I would buy this. If it were cheap enough, I would buy this to have it in my living room so I could play Paradroid whenever I wanted. You know, so there are definitely some great games on here. Now, let's talk about the ability to load external games. You know, we've had lots of mini-type consoles over the last year. I would say 2018, 2017 and 2018 have been, you know, this huge return of classic consoles and mini-consoles. We had the uh, NES Classic and the Super Nintendo Classic. We had the PlayStation Classic, which is uh, kind of flopped. Um, but all of those things had to be jailbroken to load more games on them. Uh, so, I mean, right out of the box, you have to void your warranty. You have to do 
questionable things. There's questionable, um, uh, you know, moral <laughs> stances, depending on how you feel about those sorts of things. Um, but I think, I don't know, I don't know why, but playing old computer games has never had the same legal, uh, stigma attached to it as playing, you know, other types of ROMs. And so, uh, the, the people behind the Commodore 64 mini right out of the gate saw, I mean, they listened to the community and they knew what people wanted, which was to be able to play their own games, you know, whether it's, um, D64 disc images or, or whatever, but, but that's what people wanted and that's what was going to sell this. And so with firmware 1.1, they added the ability to load games. But, uh, like I mentioned before, there were a lot of hurdles, I believe, and I haven't done it. Uh, I went right to firmware 1.2. I believe with 1.1, you had to name the disc image, a certain exact name, and then it would see it in basic. And then you could access it like a real disc in basic. You could load, you know, uh, find the directory and then load a specific file on there. So it worked, but it wasn't, um, I don't know, just wasn't very intuitive. Firmware 1.2, it puts it right there on the menu. It adds a new icon at the bottom, a USB stick. You go to the USB stick, you can immediately see uh, your directory of D64 files. You can click it and you can load games right there. It's so easy to do. Um, I mean, I played some of those games on the menu. Uh, and then the first thing I did was uh, put a copy of Load Runner on a USB stick. I plugged in the stick. I went down, clicked the icon. The disc image was there. I clicked on it with the uh, joystick. So there's no keyboard involved. There's nothing complicated about it at all. There's no jailbreak, anything like that. Clicked on Load Runner and it booted right up. So sometimes when you buy these these items, I guess I would say, you buy a C64 Mini and then once, it's not until you get it home and you hook it up and you start messing around with it that you realize what the, some of the shortcomings are. And the, the immediate one that came to me is there's only one joystick and there's two USB ports on the side, but you're going to run out of USB ports very quickly. And the reason I say that is because you're, the joystick ties up a USB port and you have to have that. Now, if you're messing around with a keyboard, if you're doing anything with a keyboard, that takes a USB port. If you are using a USB stick, that's a USB port. Um, if you want to hook up a second USB controller to play two-player games, that's a USB stick. So you're already up to four USB ports right there. So the good thing is, is that you can hook up a uh, USB, what would you call it? A USB switch, a USB, uh, a USB hub, I guess. And you can connect more items to it. Uh, I have a USB keyboard that has a USB port built into it, and I was able to pass through that way. So, um, but I think the the joystick itself has to be in the actual uh, C64 Mini. I've had it a couple of times where it doesn't it doesn't recognize it, or it does it it kind of acts strangely. Um, I need to do a little bit more experimenting, but that's the best thing I found is plug the joystick into one port and then plug everything else into. Uh, uh, you know, a, a little USB hub. Now, if you own a real or traditional Commodore 64, you own one back in the day, you know that the Commodore 64 joystick, uh, inputs 
were somehow, I, we didn't understand this as kids, I didn't understand this, but were somehow intertwined with the keyboard itself. On an actual, on a real Commodore 64, the ports are connected to the actual keyboard matrix. So if you put a joystick in port one and wiggle it around, you will see characters appearing on the screen. Uh, I believe this that port two has the same problem, but it maps to keys that don't actually show up when you press them. I think like shift or things like that. But the point is, uh, most early Commodore 64 games re required a joystick to be in port one. Most later games required the joystick to be in port two, unless it's a two-player game. <laughs> and then you need a joystick in port one and port two. It got a little complicated. So this device, the Commodore 64 Mini, assumes that the joystick is plugged into port two. It doesn't matter which physical USB port you're plugged into. The system itself thinks your joystick is plugged into port two. Now, this is a problem if you're trying to play external games that are looking for a joystick in port one. If the game you're using or the game you're trying to play is looking for the joystick in port two, then it'll work right off the bat. There's no problem. But if it doesn't, there are two ways around this. Now, people were actually patching games and hacking games or whatever, but you don't have to do that anymore. The first thing is there is a custom joystick map. You can place a file in this. I believe it has to be the same name as the D64. Um, and there's, there's a website. I'm going to put this in the show notes. There's a website where you can automatically generate these and then you just download it. Uh, and you place it on, on uh, you know, with your disk image. But you can map the game. You can map the controls and tell it, hey, you need to be in port one instead of port two. So that works really well. The other thing, and I think this is the coolest thing ever, is that you can change the behavior of the system based on what you name your disk images, what you name your D64 files. So... Um, Let's say you want to play Load Runner, and so I have loadrunner.d64. If you go in and rename it to loadrunner underscore j1, then when it boots up, it will change it, the joystick port, to, j, to the first joystick port just by changing the file name. So I will add a link in the show notes, but I'm going to read through these because there aren't that many. Uh, but you can add underscore j1 for joystick port one, uh, J2 is obviously port two, which is the default. Um, you could do underscore AD, which is accurate disk drive mode. So that's like if you've ever used Vice and you've loaded a game and it didn't work, but then you had to turn on true 1541 drive emulation, that's what this setting is, is accurate disk drive mode. Uh, there's an underscore RO for read-only mode. Um, you have NI, which is disabled disk drive icon. So I guess that's no icon, uh, while it's loading. So when the disk is accessing, normally it will flash a tiny little icon in the corner of a disk, but you could disable that. Uh, and then the default in the U S is TN, uh, for NTSC, but you can do TP for PAL. Now here's the really cool thing about this. You can daisy chain these together. So if you wanted to boot Load Runner with joystick in port one 
and read only and force it into NTSC mode. You would rename it load runner underscore J one R O T N dot D 64. So you can put those things together. Um, and so with that, really at that point, you can modify any game, uh, to get it to work. Now, if you're playing a game that requires keyboard presses, you can use that other thing. I mentioned that custom keyboard map and you can map uh, keyboard buttons to those four buttons that are on the, uh, USB joystick. So, I mean, between those two things, this thing is pretty powerful. I mean, it's pretty configurable and it will let you play, I want to say the vast majority of Commodore 64 games. It's kind of cool. Now, what some people started doing was creating these C64 mini game packs. There's a C64 mini wiki that has links to uh, a lot of these. Uh, they they change. You know, I know that there were some that were online that, that got taken offline for some reason. People got moved. I don't, I don't know the full backstory, but there are some that were out there that are gone. Um, I tell you one thing that's really convenient and I may add a link to this one, but you can search for, um, C64 mini multi-game discs. And what people have done is instead of like for games that, uh, require multiple disc images, they were too big to fit on a floppy. So let's say a game that's, uh, you know, was on two sides of a floppy. So you would play and then you would have to flip the disc over later to continue in the game. They've created these large disc images and put all the files on one image. So you don't have to flip discs and they are in uh, D81 and D82 disc formats and they work really well. So, uh, um, again, there's a lot of work that people have done, into uh, getting these games to work. You know, there were a lot of games right off the bat. People were talking about like uh, Ghostbusters, which requires a joystick and port one. There were certain classic games that didn't work, but with all these cool little features that are built in, you could get pretty much everything to work. Um, I wanted to mention this while I was searching for C64 mini information. I did not purchase this, but I found a book on amazon.com called a hobbyist guide to the C64 mini. I don't know what additional information it has in there that, uh, that you couldn't find out through Google, but it might, if you're the type of person that wants to, uh, have everything in one place, it looks like the Kindle version is a little over $8 and, uh, it's, uh, 208 pages. So there's obviously something in it, but I, I, I'm not technically plugging it. I haven't read it yet, but I, I did see that and uh, thought it was interesting. So let's circle around to that question I asked at the beginning. Is it worth it? Um, well, I guess you got to ask yourself, what is it trying to do? Like, what is it trying to compete with? Obviously, it doesn't compete with a real Commodore 64. The keyboard on it is not functional. It's it's just there for looks. Um, you can plug in, like I said, the USB keyboard. You can plug in the USB uh, joystick, you know, but... Uh, you're never going to have all the ports that you have on a real 64. You're never going to have, uh, you know, true. I mean, it, it is an emulator running on a, uh, uh, on a chip. You know what I mean? So it doesn't compete with uh, a real Commodore 64. Um, if you're a technical type person, I don't know that it competes 
with a Raspberry Pi, especially if you already have a Raspberry Pi, if you're already doing emulation, if you already have a Mist or the new Mister, um, and, and and you're using Commodore stuff like that, I don't know that this would replace that, you know. Um, but here's a couple of things that I would say that are pros about it. Number one, it is a great living room experience. A lot of those other things I mentioned, like my mist, I have in my computer room. I don't have that in the living room. Uh, my Raspberry Pi, I have hooked up in in uh, the computer room right now. So this is a thing that you can plug into your TV. And um, I actually ended up, I have one of these anyway, but uh, I used a USB extension for the joystick because the joystick, I mean, the USB cord is long, but it's not long enough to reach my couch from my big screen TV. So I used a USB extender and that seemed to work pretty well. But, um, you know, if you're not messing around with basic, if you're not doing a lot of those things, you could do everything with the joystick. So that's, uh, you know, this is definitely a plug and play type thing. Hook it up in the living room and, uh, play Commodore games that way. Number two, I would say uh, a pro of this thing is it's literally a no hassle experience. Now, again, if you're a hacker, if you like to tinker with things, yeah, the Raspberry Pi, all these other solutions, emulation, you know, even the real thing or ultimate, whatever you're doing, um, you probably have those solutions. But if you have that friend in high, you know, maybe you were friends with somebody in high school, like I was friends with people in high school that, that had Commodores um, that got rid of them in the 80s. And they don't want an emulator and they don't want to invest time in one of these things. I could see giving one of these as a gift to one of those people. They would plug it in. They're going to play the games that are on it. They might, uh, if there's a, a game that they really, really wanted to play, they might put it on the USB stick and uh, play games that way. But, you know, it, it's definitely probably, I would say, the best solution for non-technical people. So it has that going for it. Um, and the third thing I would say is as far as like going from opening the box to playing games, this is definitely the fastest solution. Um, you know, if you purchase a Raspberry Pi, if you've ever done this, you know what it's like. You're going to have to image an SD card. You're going to have to move ROMs over. You're going to have to do all these different things. This thing is literally plug and play. You pull it out. Uh, you plug it into your, your TV and turn it on and it's ready to go. You want to play other games, you put them on a USB stick, you stick it in there, it sees them, it's ready to go. So, uh, I would say it is, it is the fastest way to go from not playing Commodore games in your living room to playing Commodore games in your living room. Uh, bad sides, uh, I'm going to say number one, and maybe I'm just being, uh, whiny, but no power adapter. <laughs> Like, I, you know, those power adapters, I looked online and you could get them for two or three bucks. Like, why would they not include that? That was just kind of a bummer where I had to, uh, you know, open it, get everything set up. And then I had to go, I had to go pull the one off of my phone charger and come in and, and use that one until I ordered a second one. So I was a little disappointed by that. Um, the other thing I would say is that the uh, joystick is kind of weird. Um, I don't love the feel of the joystick. It's very tight. It's very easy to press diagonal when I don't mean to press diagonal. Um, it's very easy to, the way I hold the joystick in my hand, I found myself pressing the, uh, uh, the top, what they call the top left and top right, pressing those buttons accidentally, which would, you know, in some games bring up a menu. I was doing it, uh, 
like more than just a couple of times, like frequently I had to pay attention to the way I was holding the joystick. So um, not a huge fan of the joystick that comes with it. You can hook up a different USB gamepad, and I've experimented with some different ones. So, uh, uh, and it seems to be pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you might still need to have that main one for controlling certain games, you know, pressing keys and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's not the world's worst joystick. I own many worse joysticks. It's just not, you know, when I play Commodore games, there were certain joysticks that I had, the Epics, Epics 500, um, the Craft joystick, even an Atari joystick. Those things just feel more authentic to me. So, um, yeah, the joystick, it is what it is. Uh, now, Retro Games, which is the company that uh, released the Commodore 64 Mini, is also working on a full-size Commodore 64 um, that will have a working keyboard I'm assuming in the uh, under the hood, it's probably, uh, and this is totally speculation on my part, I assume the internals are going to be the same. I assume it's going to be uh, the same dual, uh, dual core processor running uh, WinVice 2.4. That's going to be a harder sell because that's not really a living room uh, device. That's a desk device. And so now at that point, you're getting into... You know, it's a market of people that want a Commodore 64 but don't want or don't already own another solution. So that one, we'll have to see what the what the market's like, and we'll have to see what the price point is uh, like for that. I didn't mention, but uh, I bought this uh, online, the C64 Mini, for $79.95. I think the price has dropped a little bit since then. Um but I'm going to say it's it's worth it. You know, I enjoyed it. I, I, um, I've got a lot of enjoyment. And, you know, I just recently moved. I moved to a new house a couple of months ago. And we're still in what I call the Tetris stage. Um, we're waiting for, uh, we're, we're building a new area in the back, which is going to be my game room and, and all that cool stuff. So when that is built, I'll be able to shift the things that are in my home office back to that area. When that is done, I'll be able to move uh, the things from the other office to this room. My wife will be able to move the things from the bedroom to that office. There's all this switching uh, that's about to happen. And so because of that, right now, I don't have a place for my real 64. Uh, my Commodore 64, my disk drives, all that stuff are still, uh, I say still, it's been a couple of months, but uh, they're in boxes in the garage and I haven't been able to hook that stuff up yet. I just don't have a spot that's going to be permanent yet, you know. So this really kind of meets that middle thing. It's not, uh, you know, you can play emulators and stuff, and I do, um, but it, it's uh, it, it's kind of that in-between thing. It gets me into another room. Uh, it's hooked up to the big TV with the USB stick. I can easily throw a game. I've, I've thrown quite a few demos on here, and uh, it seems to play the demos and everything like that okay. So, um, you know, it, it's for right now, it has been uh, the way that I'm playing Commodore 64 stuff. So will I be playing Commodore games on this thing in a year or two? I don't know. But, uh, you know, for that in-between market, I think it's it's not a bad device. So... I would say that's about all I have to say about the Commodore 64 Mini, uh, but in the very near future, I'm going to get back to uh, reviewing games, so uh, you know the drill. If you want to get a hold of me and uh, suggest a game, uh, maybe I'll play 
one of the games that's on the C64 Mini, or maybe I will play something else. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to podcast.robohara.com and check out the Sprite Castle section for links to Commodore 64 emulators and this week's game. If you'd like to send me a game request, feedback about this, or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts, or leave me a voicemail on my 24-hour podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the podcast.robohair.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.com, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flats, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find information and links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle.